fashion brand slowly by consensus this is slowly radio alongside voices radio later i'll be bringing you my mix that i curated with my bro dj ratsy but before i do we've got an interview with climate advocate and microfiber and microplastic expert madeline mcgillray and here she is now to introduce herself i hope you enjoy the episode let's get straight into it over to you madeline Slow radio. Okay, great. So my name is Madeline McGillivray, and I am a climate advocate, which is sort of an umbrella term that covers, you know, a science. I have a science background. I've done a lot of field research in microplastics, but I'm also very much an activist and an advocate, and I like communicating about science um, and connecting these issues. So my background is, as I said, in more science and microplastics research, um, and I've had the privilege of being able to travel to like the Galapagos and Indonesia and the Arctic researching microplastics. Um, And I decided to study microplastics undergrad in college. Um, I studied environmental policy at Barnard. And then um, now I'm currently getting my master's in uh, sustainability management at Columbia. And so that's, that's my basic background. And I'm in New York city. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. So thank you for uh, for jumping on this today, Madeline. That's, that's really cool. Um, uh, and as I said, mentioned before, um, I saw your talk for Slow Factory, which was just really insane, really eye-opening. And some, of the, some of the facts you laid out there. So um, I wanted to jump into how plastic is used in, in, in clothing and in, in fashion. Um, what are the, some of the things people should be aware of um, and how they could potentially limit um, their contact with microfibers and, and microplastics um, through through their clothing. Um, yeah. So I guess the best place to start for people is uh, some kind of definition on what microplastic is or what microfibers are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think starting off just very broadly, like the scientific definition of microplastics is a small piece of plastic that measures um, five millimeters or under in diameter. So that's like a centimeter basically. And essentially the issue is, I think the key sort of first thing to start out with is they're everywhere. Like they're literally everywhere. There are microplastics just on the tops of mountains, the bottom of the like deepest trenches of the ocean, they are, you know, found on leaves of trees, in our bodies, in every single body of water. And I think just starting out with that knowledge is really key. Just understanding like there are little tiny microscopic pieces of plastic just everywhere. And <laughs> right, so depressing. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and, and there are different categories of microplastics. So you're, we're talking right now about microfibers, which actually make up the majority of these plastics. So like number one, microplastics are everywhere. And number two really is that most microplastics are microfibers. And so what is a microfiber? basically in our clothing um, and other types of fibers, right? It can be like industrial fibers. It can be furniture, you know, any kind, any kind of like cloth or clothing related fiber. Um, the man-made ones that we all know of like nylon and, and viscose and, and, you know, spandex and all that, those are man-made and those are, are plastic. They are, they're, most of them come from a process um, that it involves the extraction of oil and then the um, refinement of oil and into a fiber. Um, so it's sort of like, just to kind of visualize this issue, you know, the sweater that you're wearing that is like a poly knit um, is shedding fibers. You don't see those, um, most of them, um, but it's just kind of everywhere you go, every little brush like friction, it's just shedding fibers. And that's how we get so many fibers into the environment with washing um, our clothing. Um, most wastewater treatment plants absolutely do not have the technology to filter microfibers. Um, so microfibers are just kind of making their way um, into bodies of water and out into sea and just, as I said, everywhere. And I think the the unique thing about microfibers is that they're so lightweight that they're airborne like they're these these french um researchers just literally swabbed a bunch of like tree leaves over the course of however many i don't know months and found that there were just like basically trees are just covered in fibers and we just can't see them because they're just microscopic so that's sort of the intro intro into that yeah yeah so any kind of abrasion with the fabric like rubbing, yeah. um, shed fibers, um, and as you say, washing. Yeah, which is, which is terrifying. So these can end up in the airwaves. You could breathe these in, uh, potentially end up, end up in your lungs. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do, I can speak to, I would like to actually touch on kind of the source quickly, which yeah. if that's okay, kind of like the, I think it's helpful for people to, um, know sort of the life cycle like where do the fibers exist in the in the whole picture and as i mentioned it like it is kind of the whole picture because visually like they're everywhere physically but um you know as i as i touched on like fossil fuel extraction 99 percent of of micro of plastic um is you know from um, fossil fuels right oil and gas and so i think just to on like a very basic broad level you know um we we should be really reframing our view of fibers and plastics um to really like a climate issue like it's it's not really separate from it's not like plastics and oil and gas it's just yeah. it's all the same yeah totally so understanding that like fighting for 
you know, minimizing plastic production really is like a climate issue. Um, and so sort of that's kind of the baseline. And then, um, you know, plastic gets refined and goes through all these processes, these chemical kind of refinement processes. And then it gets, you know, if it becomes like a large piece of plastic, like um, we call those macroplastics, like your laundry detergent bottle or your like straw, um, then it becomes a microplastic by way of uh, the fact that we have a totally like just very very I would say subpar is a huge understatement like a, a totally dysfunctional recycling system at least in the United States and in a lot of other countries as well um, so that means that essentially these macro plastics just um, end up in landfill and break down in landfill or most of the time end up in bodies of water and just kind of break down over time they become really brittle the sun shines down they get tossed around in the waves and that's how we get a lot of microplastics um, but microfibers are spun into fiber and then shed through washing mainly and through the clothes that we wear um, i will also say that like tire tire particles are a huge uh piece of the puzzle it's kind okay. of this unpredictable thing where like tire tire particles are a huge um source of microplastics as well so that's sort of where okay now you're wearing this you know blend sweater and then you maybe not a sweater that's not the best example because you want something you can wash so like you know your 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 yoga pants or your spandex gym leggings, gym yeah. leggings exactly and you wash them and i will say that a lot of washing machines maybe not a lot of washing machines but definitely some companies are more conscious now and they're actually engineering their machines to have filters built in um you can also buy there's a ton of different um external filters that you can buy to hook up to your washing machine one of them is called the filtrol there's a couple other ones um and they're also like bags you know i'm sure you've heard of like the, like guppy, the guppy bag, bag. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and those capture fibers but they don't they really don't do a perfect job um and uh they're definitely if you're trying to minimize your fight like you should absolutely if you can afford it and you can access it you should absolutely go for it um but they're not 100 efficacy um okay so then they make their way into the water and then they circulate you know the systems of the the planet um and i think that you know, if you want to, you know, where, wherever you want to go from here, um, Josh, we can talk about various different things. We definitely yeah. could also touch on like human health is another one as well. But yeah, um, yeah so. Yeah, I mean, human health is a big one. Um, uh, so I think there's probably a few ways that then affects human health. So mm -hmm. you've got the tire pollution, you've got obviously uh, the garment shedding itself. Um, mm -hmm. in, in the atmosphere that you inhabit and mm -hmm. then uh, into the waterways uh, yeah. so it can end up in, in, in fish yeah exactly that you then consume uh, right. um, so yeah there's a few, a few different routes so, but if we just touch on um, kind of once it's entered that food system once it's entered the yeah. fish uh, and, and people begin to consume that how does that mm -hmm. Well, we know, we know how that gets into the body, but then what, what yeah. effect does that then have on an individual? Yeah, so I think that right now um, it's, okay, so it's kind of like in science, we are always erring on the side of, of caution and, and not saying anything like definitively, right? And um, 
I think it's important to say that all of these concepts are like they're we think that this is the case right I will also say that um I kind of compare this to the the smoking industry like the cigarette industry where doctors were like prescribing cigarettes at the beginning because nobody knew the effects of smoking and people were like it's fine and the way that I view the plastics problem in terms of human health is it it really is um, a problem. Like it really is a concern for public health. And I think that a lot of, there's a lot we just don't know still, but the way, the reason I liken this to sort of the smoking kind of problem in that era is that there's a lot we don't know. Yes, but there's enough that we can use our noggins to, to assume that it's not great. Like we, we, we have enough information to know that it's not benefiting anybody and um it's definitely causing harm for people so i think that you know starting as you were mentioning in the food chain um i think in terms of health it's important to start off with the the understanding that like plastic itself is made up of um, compounds that are toxic to humans like that's a fact right um, but plastic is also highly attractive to uh, what are called hydropho- uh, hydrophobic toxins. So anything that doesn't like water, if it's in a body of water, say you have a piece of my- microplastic and there's just, you know, all these PFOAs um, and persistent organic pollutants, POPs, just circulating um, just the, the, the all ecosystems of the earth because humans have, have placed these chemicals um, in the environment. For example, DDT, which was so heavily used for many years, um, is a persistent, or, is persistent organic pollutant. So it's still out there 100%. Um, and it takes many, many years to break down. So we've got these toxins in the water that are really attracted to the microplastics in the water now. And microplastics, as I mentioned, they're toxic themselves, but they're now they're also really attractive to toxins. So when there's a microplastic which has um, toxins, another example of these toxins are like, you know, PCBs, I mentioned DDT, um, and a lot of just car- carcinogenic and endocrine disrupting toxins, mercury. And so they make their way up the food chain because you know plankton and i was very lucky to work with researchers at columbia who actually figured out first that like plankton and zooplankton are trying to eat microplastics so they think that these things are food somehow they make their way up the food chain and what happens with toxins up the food chain is that there's a process called bioaccumulation and biomagnification so biomagnification means that the higher up the food chain um, toxins become magnified. There are higher concentrations of toxins in the um, the animals, the organisms that are higher in the food chain because they contain more fatty tissues and these persistent organic pollutants reside in the fatty tissues. And the more sort of smaller fish that they eat, the more concentrations, the more qu- quantity of these toxins make their way into the bodies of these larger um, organisms. And then bioaccumulation is the accumulation of the toxins within in the individual organism so when you're eating a piece of fish now right it's like okay it's in the it's in the food chain and now we're eating a piece of fish and unfortunately it's kind of like well yes this fish has probably microplastics inside its body but it also has toxins that its body has been storing in its fatty tissues that it got from the microplastics so we're kind of increasing our um our uh 
ingestion of, of persistent organic pollutants and microfibers from eating fish. And I think that this is also a great place to talk about the fact that um, this really affects BIPOC and low-income communities way more uh, than other people. For example, communities that rely on fishing and that rely on fish as a protein source, like they don't, when, when you, when someone like me says, oh, just reduce your consumption of fish, you can't say that to millions of people around the world. So um, it's really important to touch on the fact that like this issue is magnifying itself in different ways um, for different communities as as the climate crisis is in so many various intricate um, ways. So fish and then um, the water supply. So another example of environmental justice and microplastics is that two times the amount of microplastics are found in tap water than in bottled. And this study came out recently. I'm, I'm sorry, wait, the opposite, the opposite. Okay. Two times, yeah, two times the amount are found in bottled water than in tap that there are microplastics in every tap water source, but two times the amount are found. Yeah. So there isn't, a, there isn't a tap water source that doesn't have microplastics, but there are two times in bottled water. And for the communities, for example, in uh, Louisiana who are fighting this plastics plant, it's called the Formosa Plastics Plant. This woman, um, Sharon Levine, she's amazing. And it's literally called Cancer Alley where she lives because of so much resource extraction. And like, they don't have a water source and they need bottled water. So, you know, now you're telling communities that have been um, really taken advantage of by extraction because of plastics production that now that they have to drink bottled water, they have to in intake more microplastics and they don't have a choice. So I'm sorry, I'm going off a little bit no, of a tangent, no, no. but it's all connected. Yeah, <laughs> Interrupt me whenever, because I can just they're, like- <laughs> They're completely reliant on bottled water there. Um... They're not completely reliant, but there are many communities that are yeah. completely reliant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Or for the most part, they're, they're, they're having to supplement with, with, yeah. with bottled water. And uh, yeah. And, uh, and like you said, there's toxins in plastic anyway. Um, right. So, so that are harmful. Uh, right. So, so yeah. Right. Exactly. So there's toxins in the bottle of water. Yeah. Right. Right, which is another reason why it's kind of like some of the researchers I worked with actually avoid like eating out of plastic containers food that's been warm because they leach chemicals as well. And, um, you know, the I think what I forgot about in my mind, which clearly goes like this way, which you asked me, um, the health implications specifically on humans um, are kind of um, I think endocrine forward, meaning like they primarily target and mess up our, our, our hormonal functions by way so when, of... When you say um, endocrine, is that what you yeah. mean, the hormonal yeah. system? Yes, the endocrine, exactly. The endocrine system is the body's hormone system, hormonal regulating system. It's kind of like the lymphatic system or, um, you know, yeah. So the endocrine system, um, meaning, for example, there's a researcher named Dr. Shauna Swan, who has devoted basically her whole career to this um, and is studying the implications of microplastic accumulation in humans on fertility. And she's finding that... <laughs> 
It's so bad. It's it's really not great. It's finding she's finding that microplastics are are accumulating in like men's scrotums and in, in scrota, and they're leading to smaller penises and less sperm production. So it's just like yeah, it's it's really quite something. Um, and and in women, this also uh, manifests in terms of you know fetal um, development problems. Um, sometimes breast cancers and other types of cancers and you know so there are health implications in terms of the hormonal system and then also um i will reference a paper that came out a couple years ago which I'm, i will i will send you the link if you want yeah. to link yeah. people i don't quite remember the name right now but it it's basically that they they studied um nanoplastics and th this is really i think the key in terms of human health right microplastics the average human ingests a credit card's worth of microplastics every week, which is crazy. And I had someone recently be confused because they're like, well, where is it going? I mean, it exits our body too, <laughs> but yeah. we, we ingest it and it makes its way through, but not all of it. Um, and so we know that plastic is really in our bodies, but like nanoplastics, which is when plastics become so small that they are really are microscopic. That's where we need to focus our research and where we need to focus on health because um, these researchers that I mentioned basically studied the fact that um, nanoplastic bind to blood plasma and like denature blood plasma and have a really negative effect on our blood and they also bioaccumulate as you were saying actually in the lungs and it's being studied now what the implications are on major vital organs because nanoplastic in vital organs is actually um, potentially a really big problem so that's really kind of the are, health. Are we still fairly early in the research uh, of these issues is is that potentially why some of these things, the production hasn't necessarily been slowed down or mm. there haven't been solutions put in place? Are we still? I think that, yeah, I think in terms of from a research standpoint, we are trying to still um, get a real grasp on what exactly, like, as I was saying, with smoking, you can kind of understand like, oh, you know, I think it's bad for me. I'm not really sure. Um, it back then before before yeah, yeah. Oh, you know um you know i my doctor's prescribing me a cigarette and they're saying that it's okay if i smoke while i'm pregnant like there were there's kind of this thing where you logically you can put together that you don't want these toxins in your body um but the research is still coming up and 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 there is research of course i'm not trying to actually discredit the amount of research that has been done on microplastics and human health because there are a really strong papers on this which i'm also happy to link um so what i'm saying i think the reason i'm i'm prefacing this is because um is because I'm primarily operating from like a scientist perspective and scientists are always trying to err on the side of caution. So yeah. I could very easily be saying like, this is a crisis right now and everybody's going to ha have a really big, huge implications on their health. And that might be true. Um, it might very well be true. And there's evidence in that direction. But I also just want to like, you know, be talk like a scientist. So um, I, so where we are right now is we need more research on nanoplastics and human health. Um, and we also, the reason why 
this is like still something that you can um, exist your whole life with not knowing about is because it's the industry. I mean, right now it's kind of like fossil fuel industry and the extractive industries that are creating the climate crisis are behind plastics. And, um, you know, really stopping plastics means stopping it at the source. It, it, and I think this is a great um, way that we can start talking about fibers and fashion too, is like, um, when we talk about recycling or finding use for fibers that exist or plastics that exist, I think that that, um, that is a big area of debate. Um, but I think ultimately the like key to actually stopping the problem really is in lo lessening production. Um, and on a depressing note, I will say that because certain many um, global um, fossil fuel companies are noticing a decline in production of oil. They are really trying to ramp up plastics production um, like 40% in the next couple of decades or something. So we need to, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so as, as you kind of mentioned there, the, we need to find a way to make use of what is here already. Where, where do you, and, and like you said, it's, it's probably something that's up for debate. Where do you stand on the use of recycled plastic in clothing? Um. I think that it is, so yeah, I think that what I said before is like, ultimately because of the background that I have and the people that I've been influenced by who are on the like urgency, this is a really big problem kind of side of things. Um, my my ultimate goal is is communicating about stopping production at the source but i also understand and believe in finding solutions and i think that humans are so innovative that there are many different ways that we can repurpose plastic i think that a huge issue uh, that maybe is not as commonly known maybe it is is like half of the plastic problem and the plastics in the ocean are from ghost nets or just like these huge fishing nets um so it's a fishing problem too um and yeah big time and so what i ultimately say is i think repurposing plastics or finding a use for fibers or for for plastics that are for example recycled is best applied in scenarios where there is not so much friction or where you don't have to wash the garment so much like i would i would totally wear you know a recycled poly like raincoat or something that you just don't have to wash maybe not a raincoat because then it gets washed into the storm drains it's hard to be you can't be perfect you just can never yeah. be perfect um yeah. and i yeah i think that's kind of the moral is try your best and like for example um shoes that are made out of like all shoes have rubber and plastic and and like you can't go running without it's just impossible not to shed fibers as you go about your life. But if plastics were melted down and used in um, furniture, insulation, or building projects, or something like that, where they're not getting shed every second, that's what I support as like a is like a first step. Or you know, as I said, with insulation, you can use that with clothing too. Like you can do a recycled poly that maybe isn't on the outside or like it's a layer or it's like a single part of the garment or it's a garment that you don't have to wash in the washing machine or it's a garment that you do wash that comes with a bag or that people know how to properly filter the fibers like there's ways to kind of offset and so all of that falls under the umbrella of like ultimately we need to stop plastic production at the source but like that so that's my viewpoint if that yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah, I think similarly, I think I would, um, yeah, avoid 
avoid it lying next to human skin, especially the plastic that's uh, recycled plastic made from uh, plastic bottles specifically. Mm-hmm. It's got antimony, plasticizers, ultraviolet, yeah, all those kind, of, all those kind of things in them already. So, uh, and those can leach into the skin. So, uh, yeah. I would avoid that. But with the yeah recycled plastic, probably yeah on an outerwear jacket, perhaps uh, like you say, in, in use cases where there's less abrasion and friction, makes it more, more simple. Have, have you kind of seen any kind of solutions coming? coming through the pipe with technology or innovation that that might help this yeah i think that there are so i'm a i'm not i can't talk specifically to too many um engineering like um plastic kind of recycling or like chemical recycling solutions but there there are a lot out there i know that there's even like plastic um what's it called it's it's called (laughs) It's like where they basically plasma blasting, I think is what it's called. It's it's where they kind of just um, find a use for um, plastic instead of incinerating, because that's really not the greatest option. Um, they actually just, I think it's like a high pressure situation where it creates natural gas um, and they are able to capture much more of the byproducts the toxic compounds that get emitted than they can in other technologies including incineration there's like things like that but in terms of fashion there's a lot of stuff going on i mean i think like my personal viewpoint is use well my personal viewpoint and a lot of other people in this fear's personal viewpoint um is that um if you're going to make clothes make them out of things uh, fabrics and and materials that already exist um if you can um or make them biodegradable if you can which is like sounds like a crazy feat but you know just natural fibers basically um that's kind of the like holy grail like ultimate goal if you had as if you had all the funding and the resources as you possibly could uh that's your goal and and otherwise i think that there are other ways to offset and use new technologies that are coming down the pipeline like in terms of leathers there's like okay vegan leather right that's plastic traditionally but yeah. there are, and I'm sure you're aware of these things. There's like Pinatex, which is made of pineapple husks. There's, um, you know, mushroom leathers and all these things. You know, you have to look into what's binding these fibers too. That like, you know, the processes that they're undergoing. But in terms of natural fiber kind of evolution and and fashion biotech, um, it's a really exciting space. And I think that the future sort of of where it's going in um, in terms of um, sustainable fashion is sort of like, we're thinking about sustainable fashion. It's this huge buzzword. Everybody's like, oh, is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? And I think that like, really it's sort of circularizing your production is just a huge and it's such a huge hurdle for small businesses, for huge corporations that already have, um, uh, already have supply chains in place it's it's but it's possible and there's really a lot going on internationally i'm sure you're aware of that is promoting a circular kind of economy thank you to everyone who helped put this together shout out to my dad on piano madeline mcgillray and dj ratsy our new collection is coming soon
Catch up with us at Slowly by Consensus on Instagram. See you next time.